Does your place go? Yeah, what do you think? It's really, it's really awful. Do it to it, brother. Hey, welcome to the Lutheran Stuff No Drama, No Drama podcast. I'm Pastor Hoffman, and with me is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach. Hey, everybody. So, here we are on Sunday, and I heard you had a good Sunday because it had uh, baptism in it. Why don't you tell us about that? Yep, we had uh, a baptism, and uh, we moved to having the sacrament on the fifth Sunday because we're a first and third Sunday uh, congregation, and after all those years of wearing down my pastor, uh, <laughs> when it, we, we land on a fifth Sunday, now we have the sacrament instead of going two weeks without. So that's a blessing. Trust me, guys, be patient and keep, keep voicing because it works. Well, and I, I'm pretty sure, you know, most pastors, uh, if you really asked them, they would love to say, yeah, you bet I'd love to give you guys the Lord's Supper every Sunday, but sometimes weird congregational dynamics and everything, you just, you try to be patient and you just got to work through this stuff because part of the, part of the called and ordained ministry is preaching and teaching and administering the sacrament. And so sometimes... Along with administering the sacrament, you got to make sure you're hitting on that preaching and teaching. And so that what you're doing is you're not changing something. You're showing people that you're just bringing good things. That's right. I need Christ crucified for the forgiveness of my sins. And I need that often. So, Well, today we have, we have Romans 13. And, and everybody's going to love this. If you have a Lutheran study Bible... Um, you're going to see how the sections are broken down here, and we're going by that. And also, we have a great question from the No Drama group. And so, well, we'll just get into it. I'll read the verses, and then we'll, we'll take it from there. St. Paul writes, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you'll receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good, but... If you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, 
You shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know that uh, you know the time, the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Amen. Okay, amen, definitely. Um, We start off in the first section of 1 through 7 to say, well, what is our relationship to civil authorities, basically? Um, And so we think about who are our governing authorities. Yeah, not only that, you know, I think it's important to clarify. A lot of people don't understand that in the Old Testament, they say, oh, there's an angry God here, but they they fail to recognize God was the civil authority in the Old Testament. He was actively the police force, the president, you know, whatever you would want to to say there, commanding the people of Israel what to do. Uh, In the New Testament, you know, he's, he's given this authority to, the roles of kings, governors, um, presidents, etc. So um, he's not this angry God. A good God has to punish evil, right? Mm-hmm. And and civilly, this is what he was doing in the Old Testament. Um, and if he goes steal something now, you're going to find yourself uh, in handcuffs and being arrested by the police. So right, um, yeah, and, and that is you know. Um... God's will as far as if you're stealing, you're definitely not loving your neighbor. You're certainly not honoring, showing honor to your neighbor. So um, there really is no victimless crime. No, and people make the case, well, look, they're so poor, you know, they had to steal this or whatever. That's just a self-justification of sin, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you got to trust the words when when Jesus says, uh, teach us to pray, we pray, Give us this day our daily bread. You know that God's going to meet those promises for us. So, Well, in our uh, Sunday school in the morning, we're studying the large catechism. And Luther pretty much said everything you just said about uh, the fifth commandment. Because remember, in the fifth commandment, uh, you shall not murder what does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and protect him in every physical need. Well, in the it, so you see that God says more than just um, taking their life, but murder is hating them. It's ignoring them in need. It's, you know, and so when we talk about the civil authorities, the same thing, you see a very much an important crossover here between saying, well, you know, for all the people that say civil disobedience is, uh, is um, patriotic and stuff like that. Well, no, you know, this kind of stuff. And when everybody's always mad about everything, 
and the and the truth of the matter is we have a we have a pretty decent system here. Yeah, and well, since we're talking about it, let's get on a subject like when to obey God and not obey the authorities is obviously when when the authorities go against God. So, like you were just saying uh, about um, protests or whatever, you know, marching for life would be a good example of how to uh, get your government to change their mind uh, in the country, march and picket against them civilly because they're going against the commands of God, especially, you know, like you just mentioned, the fifth commandment. Well, absolutely. Uh, we have, now this is another reason why I was, um, why I was rah, rah, rahing our uh, system is because if something is a problem, we have, as Americans, we have a right to peacefully gather. We have a right to speak to our representatives, things like, and we take it for granted. And, and we often think that it's not good enough. But if you look at what other countries have to deal with, you know, we, we can legally say, I think that's a bad idea. And um, in other countries, <laughs> not so much. Um, there's countries that, yeah, that, that other country like California and their straw thing. Yeah. <laughs> I call California another country cause they're just out there. So if you live in California, get out, get out. Seriously. If you live in California in, you have our deepest condolences. Um, because again, uh, it's what we're not saying this to make fun of California, I mean, to make fun of Californians, we're saying this because there's some weird things going on that even Californians are saying, you know what? I don't like that. Yeah, abortion's legal, but straws aren't, right? Yeah, like, that's that's weird. I know. So, I I mean, these are the kinds of things that, that you have God's permission to uh, disobey the government, you know, as far as the abortion thing goes. Like, we we obey the Ten Commandments over, over man's rule any day. And you know the the early church knew this especially well. I mean, they were martyred uh, for the faith, so they got chucked to lions. You know, the, the the hardest persecution we face today is we might get called some names, right? And people cower, but the uh, the early church were thrown to the lions for disagreeing with with Caesar and the like. Yeah, that's uh, not not quite the same thing as being in the. Um being in the uh, the lion's den, to be in the Roman Colosseum, uh, that's how Paul met his end uh, in the Roman Colosseum. I mean, in the Colosseum, and uh, he was he was uh, beheaded, I believe. Um, and so, you know, that's that's his that was his severance pay for his service as a pastor, I guess. Yeah, well, I mean, Jesus says in the book of Acts, I will show him all the things he's got to suffer for my name. So, but uh, that's the thing when you become a Christian, you kind of, you kind of happy to do it. You know, you kind of happy to suffer for the cross. Well, so as you become sanctified and and whatnot in the in the broad sense. Yeah, when well, when you look at the alternative, uh, it's a. Uh... Yeah, it's definitely and and here's something interesting as we look at the uh, as we look at chapter thirteen because you notice Saint Paul isn't trying to say 
he's he's no longer talking about justification here. He is talking about um, well, I'm going to argue he's talking about part of our lives as sanctified Christians, the life that we live according to the gift we've been given, and because ultimately we ask ourselves, well, why would a Christian want to promote a good government? And, you know, the answer is pretty simple is when you have a government that's working well for for the people, then you have you have some peace and you have some order. And when God's put these people in this vocation of giving us peace and order, well, we can do other things like mission work, uh, spread the gospel, uh, hear the word of God, receive the sacraments. And not always just trying to get past the battle line just to get to the church, you know. So a good government is is a blessing from God in and of itself. Not only that, uh, God is a God of order and, and not a God of chaos. So uh, God has these things for good order in society. Right. This is the curb use of the law. The first function of the law is to curb sin. Sure. Um, and if he's doing that, you know, you have, even if you have unbelievers who are refraining from stealing and murdering and whatnot, society is running better. Absolutely. Now, when he gets into the second section as the LSB lists it, fulfilling the law through love, here's another one where you get people who get triggered a little bit and this is what I like about Paul. He's not afraid to trigger a snowflake or two. Um, you know, when he talks about, oh, no, and anything except love for each other. I mean, it comes up to say that. How in the world is love going to fulfill the law? <laughs> and for, you know, Lutheran pastors, you have to know we get this question. Or at least if you're doing enough Bible studies, you're going to get this question more than a few times in your career. Um, and when we talk about love is fulfilling the law, well, um, when it comes to God's law and when it comes to this and showing love and mercy to somebody, uh, this is what God says is right. So by fulfilling it, meaning it's to say that you have heard God's word. He said, this is right. And by doing that, what he says is right. That fulfills what he says is good. <laughs> so for the people who are trying to save themselves, this is not your passage. For the people who are wanting to know what, again, like good government, what good neighbors look like, fulfilling the law is of good neighbors is loving them. Yeah, that's right. And again, love is not this uh, feeling uh, <laughs> of mush it's this self-sacrificing um giving of yourself to your neighbor to your spouse uh you know and our example is found in christ how he did not come to be served but to serve and then he gave himself ransom for many right so when we talk about loving our neighbors we're not talking about the cross and the resurrection the law that's here because Again, for the people that are always trying to work their way to heaven, the law really confuses them. Um, for Christians who understand that there's things like our civil law, 
that we deal with every day. Just because I didn't speed coming to work doesn't mean I've somehow added to my justification. It means that I <laughs> it means I've been a good neighbor to my other neighbors who have kids in my neighborhood who are playing and who have, you know, and keeping our neighborhood safe and our streets safe by me not barreling down the street with kids and people on bikes. So that's just showing love to my neighbor. That's right. And, you know, Paul is emphasizing the Ten Commandments because, you know, if you do love your neighbor, you're not going to commit adultery. You're not going to murder. You're not going to steal. You're not going to cut. Why? Because all these things hurt your neighbor. It's not, it's not good for your neighbor. If you do these things, you're hurting your neighbor. Um, if you love your neighbor, you're not hurting them. Therefore, you're not breaking the commands. Right. And uh, I like this in verse 11, because again, this really clarifies it. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies, drunkenness, sexual immorality, and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provisions for the flesh to gratify its desires. The imagery here is outstanding because we know that one of the laws is, you know, at, at evening, you're not supposed to do anything. It's kind of, it's a Jewish law. And so he's saying, look, the time now when you're supposed to not be doing anything, that's over. Um, the life you live now, consider yourself to be in the light. So now it's not just daylight. He then moves it over to being Christ as the light of the world. Because Paul, again, he's a master wordsmith. His segues are seamless. Um and so then he even refers to you uh, don't do the works of darkness. And you might think of Nicodemus <laughs> anyway, but, um, <laughs> but put on the armor of light. And so um, it's just a great segue to say, look, these are all things that Christ says are good. So don't be afraid of them. At least as a Lutheran pastor, I have no problem saying, look, Christ says these things are good. Don't be afraid of them. Just go for it. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's a great point. Um, and, you know, Paul, it, it, the, the author of Hebrews often gets a lot of um, a lot of kudos, right, for making the covenant change. But, I mean, Paul holds his own between Galatians and passages like this of of showing, you know, old law, new law, you know, yeah. what, what was old, what's fulfilled, I should say. Not new law, but what's been fulfilled. Sure. Um, so and and then you know sexual immorality and orgies and, and sensuality, course quarreling and jealousy. You know this is probably what Paul's running into a lot sure. uh, in his travels here. Well, Rome is kind of the home of that stuff. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> I mean, orgies. Kind of, you think of Rome, right? Yeah. Rome's a pretty bad place, but I mean, I can't say like Ephesus or anything else was much better. Corinth. Sure. Right, Corinth is not much better in any of this. So, but interestingly, amidst all that, he's saying, "Show proper respect to your governors." Um, Amen. 
Put on the Lord Jesus that you were baptized into. And when he says make no provisions of the flesh, he's, 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 it's a warning. Um, don't let yourself be put in a situation where you're weak. Yeah. So, you so know. if you have a weakness to, to being drunk, don't don't go into a bar and think you're going to have a beer. That'd sure. be making a provision for the flesh. Sure, I agree. Um, it's a nice thing about chapter 13. Again, it shows that Paul has no problem talking about what good order looks like. Perhaps as churchmen, we should always be thinking about good order in the church, about good order in society. And St. Paul, you know, again, Rome was also famous for having good order as well. And so he's he's saying that, you know, that good order within a society benefits everybody. And so we shouldn't we shouldn't be so afraid of, uh, you know, everything isn't about justification. Some things are about the lives we live with Christians. And certainly Jesus says it himself, the life we live for our neighbors. Yeah, or as Luther would call it, uh, table of duties, exhortation, all of this. Um, one thing that we didn't mention that I'd like to mention before we uh, get off of it is we totally, Paul totally just rebuked any Christian pacifist there. So to be Christian and to be a pacifist uh, is not biblical. As you can see, God has ordained people with the sword um, to keep uh sin curbed so if you murder if you steal anything like that the police are coming for you yeah you know believer non-believer whatever right but a believer shouldn't be doing those things outwardly period but um you know the the police are coming for you so but we have this great thing in, in the united states where we have this constitution and second amendment you know so the people are actually kind of like the uh, governing authority you know, under the governing authority, if that makes sense. Well, even Luther says, you know, these people that are, that are, that are lewd and rebellious, they'll be turned over to Hans the hangman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So that's, it's so crazy now that the, the liberals out there, the extreme liberals, it just blows my mind to watch how, how crazy they can get, right? I mean, this is like nut, nutty, isn't it? It is. But again, for Lutherans, we should say, well, nothing new. Um, we just happen to be part of the generation where the pendulum is on the upswing. Um, and so, you know, they, they fall under those people that we should pray for. And I pray that, I hope people are praying for us as well. Um and next week, when we get into fourteen, we're gonna we're gonna get into a lot more of that. So I won't jump the I won't jump the uh, the gun yet. Um, but as we as we are kind of there's a question. I mean, I, oh, I was gonna say chapter thirteen is a great reminder to us about who we are as both citizens, and this works for any nation and neighbors, and for any nation, how you are to your neighbor. That's why that's what I like about chapter thirteen. It's straightforward, it's good order, and it's good for us. Um, Amen. And now we have a question from the, if you don't mind, we could move on to it. Uh, We have a question from the No Drama group. And and they they asked if the Holy Spirit is, 
is on all of us, the same Holy Spirit, how come we have different denominations? Hey, that's a pretty good question because um, it it saves us a lot from becoming um, really strange cult members by being able to answer this question. And again, I'm, I'm just going to give a tip, a hat tip to Lutherans. Um, we're one of those churches that has a strong theology on why this is possible. And so um, when, we, when we look at what different denominations are, basically we have to start by saying, well, they're not a denomination like Americans tend to think of denominations as just like, oh, you're a, uh, you're a Baptist or you're a Lutheran, like it's just a name of your church. But the truth of the matter is a denomination in Latin is of the name of, but literally what it means is what is your confession of faith? What do you say about Christ? What do you say about the sacraments? What do you say about forgiveness? What do you say about death and resurrection? So when we have denominations, we understand that um, they are there are people that are saying, we have these particular confessions of faith. And if we see it from that point of view, we can start to actually have conversations, not just to go, well, you're a Baptist, I'm a Lutheran, we're all Christians. Yeah, but <laughs> I hate that. I hate that. Yeah. I had a, I, I ran into a guy last night. I tell you, and you know, he said, "Oh, well, this guy went to high school with. I guess he he became a a non denominational pastor." Because I said, "Well, what what kind of congregation?" He said, "Non denominational." And I go, "No, that's a straw man." I said, "All I got to do is start asking questions, and we can we can place him in a denomination. There's nothing new under the sun." So. Sure. Like you just said, what do you believe on the sacrament, baptism, um, you know, the creeds or, you know, justification, sanctification? As soon as we start answer, answering these questions, you know, you're you're going to be a Methodist or something or, you know, a Baptist or a Calvinist something, you know. Well, and the truth is, um, maybe in modern day, a non-denominational might not be a pure Calvinist, you know, or a pure uh, Baptist, but what you're going to say is this guy is probably like a Presbyterian with some Baptist leanings or is a Baptist with some sort of Catholic leanings or whatever, that even though they're not a pure sample of what historically these different denominations are, you're now saying I'm a confession of faith and then we can talk. We can talk like reasonable. We can reason the scriptures together when you say, I don't believe that the Lord's Supper is given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Great. We can work with that. You know, I mean, we can actually have a, a peaceful, orderly conversation. Well, and to the main question, why? Why is there a split? Uh, two things, Satan and the flesh. And those two things, you know, Satan is always tempting the old man. He can't tempt the new man made in the image of Christ. Uh, duality natures, go back and check out our, our podcast on Romans 7 uh, for that. But duality of natures, he's tempting the old Adam always to sin and doubt. Um, so the devil has one trick, but he repackages it, and it's to get you to look away from Jesus. Now, uh, to most Christians, he can't do that, but he can get you to look away from a, a objective assurance 
found in, say, your baptism or the sacrament of the altar. And by doing so, he's weakening faith, you see. So he doesn't get you to look away from maybe the word, you know, which which I would put Methodists and Baptists and, um, you know, everybody under. But, you know, they deny the efficiency of the sacraments. Yeah, I, I think that makes a good point, because um, remember, even in the Garden of Eden, the serpent wasn't like uh, his the way that he deceived them wasn't just to say deny everything. It was to say, are you sure? And then even tells them, you know, um, you know, you won't surely die, but actually you'll come to be as gods. And it's kind of true, but a deception because what it's doing was having them focus on themselves because immediately Eve was like, well, you know, she looked at the fruit and saw it was it was good to look at and, and, and good for gaining knowledge. And pretty soon it's not, but God said no. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the problem is they looked at it themselves and went, you know, now that I think about it, yeah, that's pretty dumb that we're not eating it. And they just sort of forgot. And then when she gives it to Adam and he eats it, I mean, it's just the same thing. Is is uh, the devil always packages heresy in doubt, not in just denial of everything. It's just always a little doubt. And he's not like, hey, red flag. Yeah. Um, it's just a, a slow denial. You know, the scriptures say, disguises himself as an angel of light. So don't expect your enemy to come to you and be like, yeah, I'm your enemy. The devil's smarter than that. You know, Jesus warns of wolves in sheep's clothing. The key word is they're in sheep's clothing. You know, they're, they're not coming to you like a wolf. Right. They're going to look like a sheep. They're going to sound like a sheep. They're going to look like a sheep. I would say the four enemies of the church the main reason for denominations can be broken down into uh, enthusiasm, revivalism, pietism, and mysticism. Well, you always have um, Fisk's favorite of saying, um, of saying, what is it, therapeutic, uh, you know, Moral moralistic therapeutic, therapeutic deism. deism. <laughs> you know, it's truism. I mean, uh, it's to say that, you know... Um, if you're just looking for a moral background, then you can say, well, we're all Christians. But uh, if you're looking for the one true God who redeems the world on the straight and narrow path, then you have to really start divine defining your terms because words matter. <laughs> if they didn't matter, they wouldn't call Jesus halagos, which is the word. So, um, and that's, that's really right. And, and as Lutherans, we do a good job of dividing law and gospel with these things because I mean, we'll go argue morality, but the second someone wants to take Jesus out of the picture, we, we drop morality and we pick up the cross. You know what I mean? And we're arguing justification by faith alone. So, you know, we sound like legalists to one group and antinomians to another. If you've been charged with both, then you're a Lutheran. Yeah, if you can be both an antinomian and a legalist, you might be a Lutheran. <laughs> Because the truth of the matter is, we charge the hill that needs charging. We don't just sit there and guard the justification hill. We charge if somebody's attacking us on sanctification, we attack. If somebody's attacking on justification, right, we attack. We put up the shields. 
But um, so it, it just depends, like, who are we ticking off this week? So if, if you just sit there and guard the sanctification wall, um, then you're, you're, you're going to only find that our church is weak on sanctification. And if you just sit there and guard the justification wall, you're going to go, well, this person obviously doesn't care about Article 4. So Lutherans have to go where we're needed, you know, so... And and so and and by the way, for the people, we have a lot of Lutherans and pre-Lutherans. <laughs> so when they listen to this, I I don't want you to say that because these people are not Lutherans. We're not saying this. We're not saying you're not saved, but we are saying there's some things about non that this non-historic theology that really you need to reconsider when you look at how the church has spoken about things historically. And how in modern day, uh, they've changed it. And you always have to ask yourself, why would you do something like that? And um, the answer is always going to be because my old Adam was struggling with it. You know, for one reason or another, that's what it boils down to. Yeah, and that, and that's the point that I was making earlier when I said, you know, um, say they get rid of the sacraments and they still have the word, you know, we're not denying that they're, they're saved, but what's happening is they've greatly endangered their faith now. Yeah. So their, their, their faith is greatly weak and more uh, susceptible to the attacks of the devil. Uh, where, you know, why would you want that? If you were in a real battle, why would you want to start throwing off armor you know, trade in your giant sword for a, a pocket knife. You know, this, this <laughs> I mean, it's a sharp sense, pocket knife. Don't get me wrong. Uh, yeah, they'll say that. Well, I, I'm going to, I'm going to get rid of my battle axe for a Swiss army knife. Yeah. You know, it's like, no, 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 no. I mean, you don't want that wine corkscrew going in your neck, you know? And, uh, you're like, yeah, but you see the Jesus gave us, uh, tools and and means of grace because they all are part of our spiritual life and so kind of when you cast off a few of them it's just to go like well I know I'm not a I know I'm not a strong swimmer but I'm just gonna I'm just gonna bring this empty milk carton instead of a life jacket you know yeah you can float <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, so that's just kind of where that's at, in my opinion. And and so with denominations, we should be able to approach this in maturity by saying, look, if you tell me you're non-denominational church, fine, because that says to a Lutheran, well, you should probably find out what they, they just don't call themselves anything. So so we would say, great, fine, non-denominational church, what do you say about baptism? What do you, like you were saying earlier, then you can find out who cares what your name is. You are a baptism denying, Lord's Supper denying, Trinity believing, a lie, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's just certain things that, you know, there's parts of the scriptures where you have a hard time. And as Christians, we should have no problem saying, okay, well, I'd like to talk to you about those scriptures. Well, and the question also asks, well, why, if we all have the same spirit, are, is there denominations? And scripture warns everywhere over and over again. I think we covered this even in Romans against falling away or falling into apostasy or heterodoxy. You know, like 
that we talk about. So heterodoxy, you know, you're not a full-blown heretic. You're not, you know, going to hell, but your doctrine is in major error. And, and the whole reason, again, comes back to what does the scriptures teach? Now, Rome claims they have the scriptures, you know, Baptists claim they have the scriptures, but yet when it comes to the word take and eat, this is, is my body, you know, they stumble over that and they say, well, is, is, is not. Yeah. No, and, and we Lutherans, we stand, no, is, 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 you know. Yeah. So you can't, so, yeah. it's, it's a game and it's a game of reason and strength. And uh, for Lutherans, we say, you know what, that doesn't make me less of a Christian to hear this is my body and say, okay. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not because I can tell you like, well, look here, I want you to, I want you to do this test on it and I will show you that this is the body and blood. The truth of the matter, since words matter and the word told us this, then it's, it's an article of faith and grace. Yeah, exactly. And, and, Here's the thing is faith never looks to reason. Faith doesn't look to feelings. Faith looks to Jesus and what Jesus said. So um, I've been playing with this thing. I was going to write on this thing, but I'll just break it out here on air. If we, if we look at it on air, uh, if we look at the Ten Commandments, every Ten Commandment can be summed up into a feeling. Think about that for a minute. So. Uh, commandments 1 through 10 can all be summed up into a feeling. So if you commit adultery, it's a feeling. If you murder somebody, it's a feeling of anger. You know, it's it's all feelings. But faith doesn't look to feelings, right? Sure. It looks to Jesus. Sure, the law makes you feel guilty. I mean, seriously. Well, that's, that's why faith should never cling to feelings. If you don't feel forgiven, you know. Yeah. Um, it's not about feelings. It's about uh, faith. It's about, you know, being declared what the word is said. Yeah. It's about, yeah. Being declared uh, when, when Jesus says this, um, this is again, we'll get into this more later, but this is why we can baptize babies and why we can baptize somebody who is in what's known as a persistent vegetative state. Because they don't need to to display an outward act from an inward change. Uh, Jesus gives them this because they're rotten sinners who need to have their name written in the book of life. You know what? And I'm glad you brought that up. Let's talk about that for a second. So we'll take a denomination like we'll say Methodists do this, right? The outward change, right? Yeah. So, so somebody is born retarded like seriously mentally disabled, there's no, you're saying there's no salvation for them because they don't understand. Well, you they know, won't say or, that. They have to we're, we're, we Lutherans would make the argument, no, there absolutely is salvation for them because it's God who saves, not man, right? So there's there's not an outward change, you know, or, or however they word it, a, a outward symbol of the inward change or whatever. It's actually... The baptism is the changing. It's the renewing. It's the spirit coming and the forgiveness of sins. Absolutely. So, well, that's why you get made up theology like babies are born innocent. Um, people with yes, that's that's where I was going with the, the dedication thing, but I, I got sidetracked. 
Well, yes, that's what I wanted to get on. So, yeah, now you have baby dedication. It's like saying, like the doctor saying to me, well, yeah, you're pretty sick. This medicine will cure you, but come back to me when you get better on your own. Yeah. Then I'll give you the medicine. Yeah, and you, you just have to be really careful about that because um, uh, there's just no biblical backing for it. How are you going to comfort somebody? You tell them, well, don't you know babies are born innocent? Well, you obviously don't have any kids, the person who first said that. And, and, and it's to say that, and it's almost like what you're saying is there's a time in this child's life when they don't need Jesus. And that is pure bogus. That's what the devil does. Hey, let's distract you for a minute. That kid is so cute. He's got to be innocent. Don't look at Jesus. Look at how cute the kid is. In reality, you're just denying them gifts. Well, and that's what happens when you start denying true doctrines is you have to start creating false doctrines to fill the gaps or your entire theology falls apart. And when they create the false doctrines, they do so by twisting clear text and making them unclear. So is is no longer is, all is no longer all, so they can arrive at these uh, unclear doctrines, right? Right. We're like, wait, whoa, whoa, hey, wait a minute. So, I mean, this is why you have denominational splits, because some jerk came along and said, all does not mean all. And is does not mean is. Or, you know, uh, baptism just takes away original guilt of sin and not, you know, your your sins after that. You know, these are the splits because none of that's true. That's not what the scriptures teach. Right. So there's just, you know, and, and it's kind of like um, the little Dutch boy. And you find that the little Dutch boy is trying to stick a finger in the dam. And then they find they have to stick their finger in another dam. And then they have to stick their finger in another dam in the holes. And you just, every time you come up with a reason for why this bad theology is correct, um, then you have to... Uh, plug it up when that part falls apart too so it's easy i don't think you'll find a lutheran that says hey just trust us we 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 know what we're saying we always say hey go check the scriptures i'm not lying to you that's what they say go look here and you know make sure to read it in context and and don't take my word for it you know go read the scriptures where you find other groups that say no, no 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 you have to submit to the Pope, right, or something like this in order to be saved. Right. So we we let the Word of God be the final authority on everything. It's the way to go. Um, So anyway, so I hope, I I think, you know, I think for the people who are asking, I think this is a a pretty good, uh, a pretty good understanding of what we're talking about with denominations. So just it's just a, a group of people who claim to follow Jesus and where they they disagree well where you disagree you're going to find right and wrong in all honesty yeah it's something you just got to weigh out you're going to have to take what they say and what the other group says you you here's the way I've always approached it is I'm on a jury and the word of god is is the final authority i got to take both groups weigh what they're saying and then and then look at the word of god and see you know which group is uh innocent and which group is guilty or sometimes they're both you know guilty um 
or sometimes they're both innocent. Like you, you have two groups that can agree that the, the, you know, the word is a means of grace, but then that same group won't agree on what baptism is or does. Sure. So it, it goes back to, you know, sitting there as a juror praying and what, what did the scriptures clearly say without me trying to insert anything or remove anything or, you know, what do they say? And again, prayer is a huge part of this. Luther realized uh, early on that prayer and study, you know, go together. So, Absolutely. Well, I'll tell you what. I am uh, about to go to a pastoral installation in a wonderful place called Walport, Oregon. And then tomorrow, my group of Christ Lutheran kids are heading up. We're going to go to higher things. So I am going to have to get on the road. So I got to say, Zach, this is a good one. And I hope for the people who are in the group that answered the denomination question, and I hope the Romans 13 gave you guys something to think about and who our leaders are as well as who our neighbor is. So that's all the time we have for today. But uh, I thank all of you for listening. And uh, this is Pastor Hoffman for Zach Lesher saying God bless your week.